Well, this morning, um, we're going to step back just a little bit from our series uh, in the names of God, and we're going to do a little biblical teaching on an area that we're going to be looking at, specifically coming up at the congregational meeting uh, next Sunday. And so we want to start out this morning, we want to talk a little bit about biblical leadership, okay, biblical leadership. Now, unfortunately, we have a tendency to draw a lot of our thoughts about what leadership is um, from the world around us and from the world's leadership. You know, the leadership we bump into every day. You know, you have politicians, you have bosses, you know, you have police officers, you have teachers. And often these examples, they speak about control. They speak about power, of having authority in some situations, you know, lording it over another person. And then you come to the church and the church family. And we have leaders, pastors, and elders, and, and deacons, and trustees, teachers. Um, and, and, and none of the examples that we get from the world help to carry over into the church, into what biblical leadership is all about. I, I think about Christ. Remember when, when the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Remember what he said to them in, in Luke chapter 22? He talked about, you know, them, you know, the Gentiles, they lorded over one another, their position of authority. But he says, it is not to be this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus takes the, the, the whole understanding of leadership and he turns it on its head, totally, totally upside down. In Matthew 23, he says this, But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. But whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And then I think probably the most powerful visual that we have of this is Jesus Christ at the Lord's Supper in John 13. It says, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. We have the example of Paul, the Apostle Paul. I mean, you know, he, he, he was used by God to write so many of the New Testament letters. He's a great evangelist. He planted churches all over Asia. But when Paul talked about himself, he said, I am the least of the apostles. It wasn't a place of power. It wasn't a place of authority. It was a place of, of humility. Matter of fact, one whole level of leadership within the church, biblical leadership in the church, is called in the Greek diakonos, and it means servant. Do you remember what that means, what we translate it in the English, the word we use for that? Leadership, what is it? Deacon, yeah. The position of a deacon is the position of a servant. 
Now, I'm saying all of this to you because we need to understand servanthood as the foundation of our leadership within the church, of what it means to step up and to lead. It means to serve one another. It means to serve Christ. It means to serve the body of Christ, to, to serve everyone else. That's what, that's what it means to be a leader in the church of Jesus Christ. And over the past few years, we've been kind of looking at our leadership within the church and we've been trying to make some changes to get us, you know, a little more lined up with the, the biblical model of, of what the leadership structure should be within our church. If you remember last year, um, about this time, uh, we took the deacon board. We had deacons and we had trustees. Those are our two leadership boards. We took the deacons and we divided them into elders and deacons. The elders, which were now going to be like the spiritual leaders in the church, and the deacons who are going to be the spiritual hands-on leaders in the church. And then we had the trustees who are now the spiritual, physical leaders in the church. And while we're still kind of finding our rhythm in all of these new changes, and it's probably going to take a, a, a year or so here, um, these things have been a blessing in doing the changes of bringing more people involved and in, in dividing the responsibility so that the elders have the time to... to to, to seek God's will, to be in prayer, to look for the direction, vision of the church, you know, while the deacons can be that, the hands-on into the body of Christ. Now, um, while we were seeking God's word over the last few years concerning spiritual leadership, there was another area of leadership that came up that we tabled until we finished our first step of the elders and deacons. We saw where God was going to be leading there. And that area of leadership that we kind of tabled was discussing deaconesses within the church, biblical deaconesses. Um, now, now you understand why I led with the description of what biblical leadership is. You know, to be a biblical leader is to be a servant. Um, you know, I need to understand that. We need to understand that that's what it means to lead in the church. It means to serve one another. And I have never understood why it is so contentious, the subject, when we discuss deaconesses or we discuss women and their leadership within the church. And I can only think it's because we bring in all of the things from our culture and the world around us that talks about power and authority and, and being in charge. Um, matter of fact, we obtained a few photos of the last church that took up this subject. Uh, we'll show you one of them here. Um, and I think we got another one, don't we, here? Yeah, this one's even better. Yeah, this is, this is my exit after uh, today going out and today. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I've been around the block a few times within the church and, you know, in, in, in uh, you know, big meetings with churches and other pastors. And, I mean, they talk about, you know, the contentiousness of this. But, folks, this isn't going to be us. This isn't going to be our body of Christ here. Um, you know, let me, let me tell you how we're going to go about seeking God's will in this. And, and today, mine is to explain this to you and to invite you to be part of this process of seeking God's will and God's direction. So what's happening is today I'm going to biblically look at this issue. And, and I need to confess to you, I am not going to exhaust this by any means. Um, I'm going to be going to a few portions of Scripture to look at these things. You know, we could do a series on this long, but, you know... 
We're, we're not going to. We're, we're going to be laying the biblical issue out to you today. Next Sunday at the congregational meeting, uh, we have a tentative proposal and a tentative job description for us to look at. And I'm going to give that to you today. Matter of fact, it's out on the Welcome Center for you right now to take home because we're going to be asking you to, to go away from here and to pray and to open up your Bibles and, and to, to, to seek God's will in this and his direction. That's all we're asking any of us to do. Next Sunday at the congregational meeting, um, we're going to kind of discern from the, the questions and the comments that are being made on whether to continue to pursue this or not. And ultimately, we will do it with a vote at the congregational meeting. If the vote is affirmative, then we are going to, we're not approving the constitutional changes that, that we have proposed at this time because we wanted to get your guys' feedback. There might be some other things that we want to put in there or change or some along those lines or the job description as well. So if we, if we decide that God wants us to continue moving in this, depending on the questions, um, if we move forward with this, if it's affirmative, then we are going to have the final vote after the elders take, you know, the, the feedback that we got, we're going to, after the final vote, we're going to take in January. And then if that's affirmative, then we will begin to implement it, um, you know, from, from then on. And it, it's, you know, it's a slow process of implementing it. Um, if we still do not come to a consensus as a church, we're going to take as much time as we need to address the questions, ultimately until the Lord opens or closes the door. And if he closes the door, then we move forward you know, with what God has for us next, okay? So that's what we're going to do this morning. So let, let's dig into God's word and bring some clarity to this issue of, of kind of gender relationships and leadership within the body of Christ here. And I, and I want to start this morning with a sweeping statement that, that Paul makes, that God makes concerning the unity that we're supposed to have in the body of Christ. In Galatians chapter 3.28, and I want you to, I want you to we're going to focus on this verse. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me read it for you again. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now this truth was to address the cultural norms as well as to gra uh, address some spiritual issues here. And there, there, there's three kind of issues that they deal with are relationships here. First of all, they talked about Jew and Gentile. You know, we know in the Old Testament Judaism, there was a separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. You were either a Jew and then everybody else. There were God's called out people, and in that you know, God's working that way. He was pouring himself through the people of Israel that the world might be able to see and recognize who God was. So you had that separation in the Old Testament. And then there is their cultural separation that they had. There was this hierarchy. And, you know, we, we in, in some ways, we still experience some of it today. You know, we don't have slavery, but, you know, they had slavery and free men. You know, we have bosses and employees. You have the haves, the have-nots in our system. You know, there's, you know, though we don't identify it, there is a caste system, you know, that everybody has out in the world. And then culturally, another, you know, hurdle to address was between men and women. 
And let's be honest. And I'm not talking about the church. We're just talking about the culture, you know, the Roman culture that they lived in treated women badly. Women were treated like second-class citizens. And so you've got all of that, and, and now you come together in church, and people are getting saved, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, you know, free and slaves and owners, bosses, all sorts of people are getting saved, and they come together in church. And the thing is, everyone kind of brings their backgrounds, their upbringings, they bring all of their baggage, you know, into the church. And God just sets it right. You know, right from the very beginning, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all, all one in Christ Jesus. That all gets checked at the door. It doesn't matter your income. It doesn't matter your influence. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter. You come together in Christ Jesus, and we are here. This is a, you know, this is a principle that is, is different in the church than was different in the Old Testament times. I mean, think of it. When he talks about the church, he likens the church to a body. You know, some are the eyes and the, you know, some of the ears and the nose and the feet and the legs, and everybody has a different part in the body. And remember, he, he says, you know, that I can't say, you know, to the ear because I'm not an ear, I'm not part of the body, or I'm not that important. They're all important. You know, there, there's no part of the body that we would just willingly you know, give up on and, or, or, or cut away. They're all important to us. The issue of importance and value in church is laid to rest in the body of Christ. There is, however, still biblical teaching that deals with headship. And that's what we're going to take a look at for a moment here. It says in 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Folks, I want to tell you something. This isn't just a church principle. This is a creation principle. It was the same in the Old Testament. It was the same from the time of creation. And if I had to kind of you know, summarize it of how it affects us here, very simply put, from the time of creation... God not only wants men, you know, to be spiritual leaders, he, he, he's wired us to be the leaders for a headship. Again, this is an issue, an issue of importance, but this is an issue of creative design that God has wired us that way. And the problem we get into with this verse is when we bring over our cultures into defining what it looks like. You know, if you come to it from a culture, from a background and upbringing of how you were raised, um, you know, it's kind of medieval times, you know, women get my slippers, you know, you know that sort of a thing. I mean, and you bring it into it, and, and, and you bring that into this picture here, and it gets all distorted. The funny thing about this is that the application, when you say, well, what does this look like? The application of what this looks like is self-contained. It's in the verse, you know, I, and, I, and I have a feeling that they were going to have, you know, that's, that, that issue of man is the head of, you know, the woman, was, they knew that was going to be the issue. So it's sandwiched between two other examples, you know, two other truths. First of all, it says that, it says God is the head of Christ. So think about this. God, 
just like man is the head of woman, God the Father is head of God the Son. So now do you picture in heaven at any time that God the Father looks like God the Son? Go get me that. You know, where's my meal? You know, go down and, and die on the cross for their sins. You think how that, 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 that's how that relationship is going there? No, matter of fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, speaking about Jesus, it says, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. You see, this, he speaks there about a willingness. There's a willingness for Jesus to submit to the headship of God the Father. A willingness, a, a, a humility. I mean, we talk about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are equal, you know, they're separate but equal. Um, you know, and, and, and that's the example that we have here. They're separate but equal. There's a willingness of Christ to step down and do the plan of God the Father. Anything about the creative design, you know, Eve was called a helpmate to, to, to Adam, you know, um, and this is supposed to be something, I mean, if we kind of look at this verse and we, you know, think about it, it's something for us to be grasped, that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about for women, this is something to humbly give willingly, to give to, to, to man the headship as Christ willingly submitted himself, humbled himself, didn't consider equality with God something to fight for, something to grasp, but he humbled himself and he became obedient to the cross. So this is, this is the gift that, 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 is, you know, that, that woman gives to the man. You know, it's, the, it's that headship. It also talks, it starts out there by saying Christ is the head of man. That's another example that, that we have. Well, what does it mean that man is the head of woman? Well, it, it's just like Christ is the head of man. And does the Lord, you know, does, is that all about authority and position and power that he has over us? No, we already read verses where, you know, he's the master who came to serve, to give grace, to give mercy, you know, to lift up. I didn't come to be served, but to be a servant. And that's what biblical leadership is all about. Just like Christ is the head of man, he came to serve. So as man is the head of woman, it's a, it's a position of, of serving, whether it's within the family, whether it's within the church, of, of, of serving, men serving the, uh, the, the women. And this is what leadership looks like. This is what biblical authority is. It's not about power. It's not about positions. But it's about responsibilities. And the leader is responsible to care and nourish for the members in the church. Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, it's talking about the, the husband-wife relationship there. And it says, husbands ought to love your wife, own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and he cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. And so that headship position is a position of nourishing and cherishing, not power and authority. This is, this is a principle that God has laid out from creation. In the home, men are called to exercise that headship, to be the spiritual leaders, 
you know, to, to, to be the spiritual servants within the church. Men are called to be leaders, to have that headship, to be the servants, okay? Now, this doesn't mean that women don't have influence or they don't ever exercise, uh, you know, service-type leadership. But in the end, the mantle of headship falls upon husbands in the home and it falls upon men within the church. So, so really probably the best way you could look at it is if you kind of step back and you look at the church. I mean, you've, you've you know, heard of, you know, churches that are, you know, dominated or run, you know, by women or by men. And it shouldn't be either way. You know, it should be looked at that the men of the church are, are, are serving. They're showing their leadership. They're showing their, you know, their, their headship by their humility. That's what's supposed to be happening, you know, in, in our homes and in our church. Now, I'm going to tackle a big one here, a, a big scripture uh, that everybody avoids and feminists, they break out in over hives whenever it, it's read here. But I want to take you to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. We're going to put this up here for a second. It says, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Folks, in, in our culture today, Satan has caused those words to be very divisive. I mean, when, when you read them, I mean, think about that. When you hear it, you think, ew. You kind of cringe just a little bit. Matter of fact, it, it's a little worse if you read it in the King James. I think we have it in the King James uh, there. It says, let a woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over a man, but to be silence. So, you know, we read it like that, and we use you know, that kind of a language, and it's like, ouch. But, but it shouldn't be like that. That's not at all how it was intended. First of all, uh, we may cringe at the language, but 2,000 years ago, they wouldn't have. You know, this language and the way that it was written, um, it was not meant as a put-down, um, and it was not received as a put-down by women. Matter of fact, if you study the history of the early church, uh, truth be known, Christianity raised the standards of so many people who were oppressed. They raised the standards of women. They raised the standards of children. They raised the standards of the elderly. Matter of fact, that was one of the problems that the world had with Christianity because they were suddenly going against the cultural norms. Now, second thing here, uh, Timothy is a young pastor of a church. He's the one who Paul wrote this letter to. He's a young pastor of a church. And Paul is writing to him in this area because evidently there was a problem arising that needed to be addressed. He doesn't just willy-nilly put truth out there. Paul is answering questions that are coming up, giving direction, and in this case, giving direction to Timothy. Um, you know, we can only speculate at what the specific issue was that he was addressing here, but I think it'd be safe to say evidently it was involved the leadership structure within the church. You know, I think they were probably having problems with it. Now there's, you know, you know, neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, and you know, free or, or slave. I mean, it, you know, all those norms are gone. And, and, and so the church is having some growing pains of figuring out what that looks like. And so with that, Paul goes on to describe church leadership. It's interesting, after, right after these verses, in chapter 2, 1 Timothy, 
comes chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, which is the one we always turn to when it talks about leaders, when it talks about elders, when it talks about deacons, and it talks about leadership. So this was more than just a question that he's answering concerning, you know, women with the church. He, he steps back and he talks about leadership in general. And that's what he does in chapter 3 here. He talks about elders or overseers, um, the spiritual leaders. He talks about headship. He talks about deacons who are spiritual servants. Um, kind of got thinking about this this morning as I was looking over my notes. If you think about Acts chapter 6 where, you know, kind of, you know, we started with all of this a year or so ago. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles, you know, they were busy, you know, studying the word of God. They were busy praying you know, being used by God to speak and to proclaim the word of God. And suddenly there arose a need in the church. You know, there were some widows that were not being ministered to. And the question was, you know, should they stop that important work to do this important work? And the answer was, it was no. They raised up other spiritual men to do that important work so they could keep doing their work. And so our deacons, if you think about it, our deacons are there to, to serve in a way so that it even enables our elders to be able to do their important work. So they're both doing an important work and, 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 and serving one another. So it talks about elders and overseers. It talks about deacons. And then it talks about women who serve as deacons, or what we would say is deaconesses. And um, it says in 1 Timothy 3, 8 and 11, I'll get a little run up to it here. It says, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, or addicted to much wine, or, or fond of sword and gain, but holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. So the word likewise there says likewise are literally women who serve in that same capacity that he's just described. That's what he's talking about here. Now, I know if you have a King James Bible, it uses the word wives there. And, and, you know, it has been thought that it's talking about, you know, deacons. It's talking about their deacons' wives need to be in the same thing. That's not necessarily the case there. Matter of fact, that word there used to describe wives there um, is translated more often in the Bible, women. It's not specifically talking about wives. Um, it's not you know, referring necessarily to deacons' wives. Um, other than trying to explain it away, there's no reason that it would have to be translated as wives. If you look at other places in scriptures, very openly it's tra uh, translated as women. My guess is back in the 15th century, you know, culturally, often they would interpret these things, and that's why it was put in there as wives. I'm not positive about that. There's other places that it's translated wives, but it doesn't have to be that. The context kind of interprets it, and that word likewise there, in other words, you know, women, you know, that serve in the same capacity, be the same thing as, as, as what I, I just described here. And, and that follows other places in Scripture. I mean, if you go to Romans chapter 16, verse 1, we're introduced to a, a, a woman named Phoebe. And it says there in, in 16.1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria. Now, that word servant there, and keep the verses up there for me if you would, that word servant there is the same word, diaconus, that we translate deacon. Okay? She, is a, she was a servant. She was a deacon or a deaconess. If you go on, it says, um, 
It says that you receive her in the Lord in the same manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever manner she may need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. What a description of what a deacon is. A helper, a servant. You know, she sounds pretty engaged in the church. She sounds pretty engaged in the kingdom. In fact, Paul says whatever help she needs, give it to her. You know, when she comes and she asks anything of you, be a support to what she is doing because she is doing so much. Then you think about Priscilla and Aquila. We read about them a lot in the book of Acts. Priscilla is is the wife. Aquila is the husband. They're a couple. They are heavily involved in planting churches as a couple, a man and a woman together. You know, Paul often would leave them behind after a church has been planted, leave the two of them behind to help build and strengthen the church and to organize the church. As a matter of fact, they are a couple, both the husband and the wife. They pulled Apollos aside, who was one of the great first century believers, and taught him more accurately the things about Jesus Christ because he had only been under John the Baptist. I mean, so, so they are used, you know, Priscilla is used in a way to, to move the kingdom forward, to, to serve, yes, even to serve a man. If anything, deaconesses and the term deaconesses follow the creative design by God because the word means servant. A deaconess is a servant, a servant in the church, a spiritual helpmate, as we might say, to the elders and to those spiritual leaders within the church. All right? So I want to move on to what this has to do with us specifically. Okay? You know, this is kind of where it kind of winds down here. What does it have to do to us? What, what does it mean to us? Um, well, since we have aligned ourselves with more of the biblical model of having elders, deacons, and trustees before we had the elders and deacons all in one position, and that's why I think you would come into a lot of the problems because the deacons from, you know, a couple years ago were supposed to be the spiritual hands-on serving, and they're supposed to be the spiritual seeking the will and the vision and the direction and, and prayer of the church. And, and, and that's where those roles might become meshed. But since we divided it, you know, as the Bible says, to have spiritual headship, leaders who are elders, and then we have deacons who are spiritual servants who do a, a, a tremendous spiritual service to help the elders so they can stay focused on other things, other than spiritual hands-on, and then you have trustees who are the spiritual leaders, you know, through the physical things. Since we have done that, now it opens us up to the next step in our biblical model of deaconesses. And to consider that, God, do you want us to bring on deaconesses who become the spiritual helpers? Now, some questions. One, why are we considering doing this? Why rock the boat? Why not just leave things the way it is? Well, you know, the truth is, our ladies are already doing it. Our ladies are already serving. They are already servants. You know, I mean, they're involved in the nursery and ladies' retreats and Bible studies and, 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 and fellowships and hospitality. They're so involved in those things. The thing is, though, all of those things that the, the ladies are involved in, they operate somewhat independently of each other. So having it all under one roof will enhance the ministries. So everybody's not, you know, just off, you know, reinventing the wheel here in ministries 
and ministering to women, but it, it, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get it under one roof here. We want to so that people don't fall through the cracks and that we can enhance the ministry. The second reason why we're considering doing this is because of the deacon's family list. You know the deacons that we have right now. Uh, everybody who attends the church here is on one of the deacons' lists. We have six uh, deacons that have a list, and those deacons, we've published them for you. You know, if you have a need, a spiritual request, something along those lines, they're who you, we want you to go to first. You know, they're supposed to be checking in on you. They're supposed to be praying for you regularly. You know, if you're, if you're struggling in your faith and you aren't coming, telling us you're struggling, but, you know, you begin to miss church, they're supposed to kind of keep an eye out for you and, you know, maybe reach out to you, see how you're doing, what we can pray about, answer any questions. But one of the problems with that is, you know, there, there is a limit of what men can do in the area of ministering to women and to reaching out to the women on the list. And, and that somewhat handicaps that, that ability. We want to enhance this. We want to enhance it so that we have the deaconesses who can minister then directly to, to the ladies and the women within our church. Now, one question that came up when we separated the elders and deacons is do we have, an, you know, do we have enough male leaders to have deacons and elders? Um, let me tell you this. If the Lord leads us to take the step of bringing deaconesses on, we have a large pool of spiritual servant women within the church. That's the least of my worries, that we have women who are qualified to step up and, and to serve in this capacity. So what we're going to do is next week at the congregational meeting, we're going to try to answer any questions you have. I hope I answered a few here. Maybe I raised more questions for you. That's fine. We ask you to go away. We ask you to pray about this. We ask you to, to go to the Word of God and seek His will and direction in this. Uh, we have a proposal that we're going to be looking at. And that proposal, we want feedback from you. I'm going to show it to you in a moment here. But next week, we're going to ultimately vote on the proposal and whether to move forward. Um, whatever changes, uh, you know, that we have. Um, if so, then again, remember, the final vote will be in January. Okay, let's put up the constitutional proposal. Boy, that's really small. Okay. All right, let me, let me go ahead and read this for you. Again, we're not voting to approve this. This is to look at to say, what do we need to add or to change to this, right? So the board of deaconesses shall consist of no less than three members. Deaconess shall be chosen from the membership based on the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. Deaconesses shall be nominated by unanimous vote of the existing board of deaconesses and advanced to the elder board during the nomination process. The names of those nominated will be submitted to the church at the annual business meeting for approval or rejection. At a two-thirds majority vote of the members present and voting is necessary for approval. Deaconesses shall not be nominated for a second term of office until at least one year has transpired between terms. The term of office for deaconesses is three years. It shall be the duty of the board of deaconesses to care for the spiritual and material needs of the congregation through visitation and hospitality, with the emphasis being of the ladies of the church. The board shall monthly meet to discuss, organize, and plan out the vision of the Lord and to set ministry focus for the next month. Specifically, what does that look like? Let's go ahead and put that up. What are we talking about here? How would this look like? Okay, this is what it would look like. Number one, emphasis on the ladies of the church with special attention given to widows and shut-ins. 
Number two, while the present ladies' ministries, Bible studies, secret sisters, monthly fellowships, ABFs, etc., they may or may not become part of the responsibility of the deaconesses, they should be part of the overall vision and direction for our ladies' ministries and thus include them in their overall planning. Okay? In other words, hospitality committee would fall directly under the ministry. Meals brought into those in need will fall into this ministry. Funeral ministries will fall into this ministry. And then finally, the board shall operate independently, but shall meet as needed with uh, deacons when the ministries overlap. In other words, some have asked, well, do the deaconesses just you know, sit on the deacon board and they minister together? The answer to that is no. We're not looking at doing that. We're going to have a deacon board and we're going to have a deaconesses board. Uh, main reason we're going to do that is because you know, of time. They have a lot of stuff to discuss. And a lot of stuff is involved in that, and, and kind of bringing those two things together is going to be a little more difficult. There will be times that maybe they will meet together to discuss some things concerning the, the, the serving the body of Christ, uh, but for the most part, it's going to be a deacon. It would be a deaconess meeting, and it would be a deacon meeting. Okay? With that, I rest, and uh, we really do ask you to pray, though. I mean, you know, the only interest we have in moving forward with this is to... In, enhance the body of Christ. And is this the right time for us to do that? Is this the direction that God is leading us? And that's what we're asking you to do. We're a congregational um, church. That means it's not about what I say. It's not about just what the elders say. We believe that God is working through you guys as well, leading you and directing you. Uh, we value your input, and that's what we're looking for next week. Um, on the back, Welcome Center you will have the, the constitutional you know, kind of proposal that we have here, what it looks like. There's also the, uh, the list of, of those who have been nominated for various positions, not the deaconess here, but the deacons, the elders, the trustees. Uh, so go ahead and take those uh, before you leave. Okay, I'm going to ask our worship team, they're going to come up at this time, I'm going to have a word of prayer with us, and then they're going to lead us in worship. Father, I thank you. God, for just being here with us today, and I thank you for your word and just the openness of it. And Lord, I know a lot of people try to twist it and, and, and to make, you know, somehow that the church is, is so confining, but Father, in you we have freedom. You are so liberating to us, and I thank you for that. I thank you for your word that gives guidance and direction. I know we didn't uh, touch on everything today that we could have, but God, you know, you've given us enough to think about and work in our hearts. So I ask you to do that as a body of Christ. Uh, give us a consensus, consensus to your will, Lord. Thank you.